So what's the last thing that you are tempted by? Maybe we should define our terms here first. You know, the, um, looked up the definition for temptation, and it says, the temptation is the desire to do something, especially something wrong or unwise. Now, I want to focus on the wrong part, not the unwise part. Otherwise, we'll have all sorts of people confessing, oh, pastor, I stayed up till 12 o'clock last night. Now I'm, you know, having trouble staying awake, or I'm lactose intolerant, but I had an ice cream sundae, or, you know, I, I bought a timeshare, you know, these, all these unwise things. Um, we want to focus more on our, the, the wrong. Uh, and, but temptation is a part of our life story. It's a part of every story. And um, sometimes we overcome temptation. Sometimes we give into it. But in all these things, temptation is one of those areas where um, our story and God's bigger story overlap. And on the very basic level, temptation is, is often being tempted to write our own story apart from God and not see how uh, God invites us into the big story, his story, and have a relationship with him. Uh, and so temptation, yeah, is often when we're like, oh, I'm going to write my own story apart from God. And this series that we just started a couple weeks ago uh, is a, a series where we look at how a man named Matthew 2,000 years ago wrote about this bigger story, about God's story, and how Jesus brought Matthew, who up until that time, his story was, hey, he's an outcast. He's a tax collector and an outcast, and God brought him into that bigger story and changed his life forever. And just as a review, uh, Mickey read uh, chapter 4 of Matthew, and this section of Matthew's gospel is the section where Jesus is preparing for public ministry. Uh, he was the last week, and you can listen to that sermon if you want online. Uh, it's the context. Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. The Spirit came down in the form of a dove upon Jesus, and then the Father a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So, if God is well pleased with Jesus, well, now we expect that Jesus to have health and wealth and lots of prosperity, right? Because he has God's favor. That's what I hear the, the, the TV preachers saying, right? Oh, you're, the God's favor is upon you. So, expect prosperity, Express, expect wealth and health. But that's not what happens, is it? No, instead, the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. In the wilderness in Israel, it's, it's not like, oh, woods, I can go and relax in the shade. The wilderness is the desert. There's no food, there's no water, there's a hot, beating sun. And a part of that preparation isn't, oh, here's prosperity, here's wealth. It's Jesus being led to fast. Now, what is fasting? Fasting is abstaining, usually from food, for an extended period of time so that you can focus on God, that you can uh, put all of the, everything aside so that you can connect with God. 
And it makes sense that as Jesus is preparing for his public ministry, his primary preparation will be unity with God and his will. So he's fasting. And this must be a supernatural fast because he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And normally that's deadly unless God is working in you. So that must have been the case. And so after 40 days, I think it's an understatement to say Jesus was hungry. He wasn't just hungry. He needed food. It's not like, oh, you know, just give me a Chick-fil-A milkshake. That's what I do when I'm hungry. He needs food. He is starving, literally. But that's a part of the preparation. So in Matthew 1, it says, Jesus, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after 40, fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So the Spirit, he leads Jesus into the wilderness, and it's applied, yes, that this fasting is a part of that preparation. Jesus was hungry, and the devil saw his opportunity. Now in verse 1, 5, 8, and 11, we're introduced to this being called the devil. In verse 3, he's called the tempter. In verse 10, he's called Satan. Who is this guy? Who is the devil? Who is Satan? Well, he's a created being. He's not equal with God by any means. He was a created being. He is a created angel who led rebellion against God. And that's what his name means. That, the name means adversary. He opposes God. He tries to get people to join him in opposing, in opposing God. And temptation is one way where Satan does that. He says, write your own story apart from God. He did it in the garden. Does God, wait, God has brought you into his bigger story. Does he really have your best interest in mind? If you eat that, will you really, will you really die? No, God just, he doesn't want you to be like him. Satan's been doing this for a while. He tries to get people to write their own story apart from God. Well, I think what's interesting here is Matthew, he's careful to say, well, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, but the Spirit didn't tempt Jesus. God doesn't tempt anyone. Uh, James 1.13 tells us God doesn't tempt people. But yet, he is there in the wilderness, and Satan comes and tempts him. But Satan's temptation... And God's still in control, but Satan's temptation is only going to serve to verify the Father's statement back in chapter 3 that this Jesus, that he is God's beloved son who follows God and pleases God. He succeeds, Jesus succeeds where other heroes of the faith have failed, Adam and Israel, so many. Here also we encounter the divine mystery of Jesus being fully God and fully man. We see, all right, he has to be fully man, otherwise he's not truly tempted. And yet Satan is saying, well, if you're the son of God, and there's uh, theologians and people, regular people too, have written so much about this particular passage and how that doctrine of Jesus being fully God and fully man, how it interacts with this. But we're not going to go there too much because I can tell that you're like, hmm, that'll put me to sleep. But go do some reading about it. But it's, 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 it's one of those areas where, like, this is a mystery. Wait, he's God, he's man, and, and here that really interacts. But the first temptation 
Verse 3, it says, the tempter, and here Satan's called the tempter. This is what he's doing. The tempter came and said to him, if, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus responded, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, to me, this first temptation is the most sneaky because, and, and when Jesus doesn't give in to this one, the devil doubles down and then triples down in more obvious ways. But here, it's sneaky because it involves many true things. One, Jesus is hungry. Jesus physically needs food. That's true. He, he needs food. He's already supernaturally been preserved and not eaten for 40 days. Like, his body needs food. That is true. Number two, eating is not a sin, right? Like, we have to eat. Eating's not a sin. Nowhere in the, the Bible does it say eating is a sin. Three, God the Father had just told Jesus that, that Jesus is the beloved Son. Therefore, he has divine power. So, off all these things being true... Why not make those stones bread? In fact, maybe the little stones, you know, look like biscuits or, or, or croissants, you know? <laughs> and we also know that later Jesus will miraculously uh, multiply bread and feed a, a crowd of 5,000 people, over 5,000 people. And he'll turn water into wine. So Satan is offering Jesus a solution to his hunger that it seems to line up with everything. Problem is, is that if Jesus were to do this, he would not be doing it out of obedience to God. He'd be doing it out of obedience to his physical need. He would not be following the voice of the Father in doing this, but the voice of Satan. And after all, he's in the wilderness and fasting because the Holy Spirit led him to do that. So why would he change now? You see, in Jesus' view, following God is more important right, than even his physical needs. That would be the bigger problem. Not following God, that's a bigger problem than his hunger. And this is so hard for us to relate to because we prioritize not just our physical needs over spiritual needs, we prioritize our physical wants over spiritual needs. We do. We treat our, the, the big story, the eternal, the spiritual things as almost not that important, that maybe we'll get around to it if we have time and extra, but on the priority scale, it's way down there. We treat the physical things as real. That's not how Jesus treated things. He said, no, God, the bigger story of God, following what God wants to do, like, that's my food. He even says that in, uh, in John chapter 4. So I know it's hard for us to relate because this is so counter to what we normally do and what, how we normally function. But Jesus here makes it clear. Following God's word, it's top priority in his life. And that's why in every one of these temptations, he quotes the Bible. He specifically quotes the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. And here he quotes Deuteronomy 8.3. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
And if you look at the Old Testament context of Deuteronomy chapter 8, God was leading the nation of Israel in the wilderness. Oh, that's something similar. For 40 years. Oh, 40 days, 40 years. And he's doing that to see, will, you, will they keep my commandments? Because they kept breaking God's commandments. They kept following false gods. They kept on writing the story themselves. And God, it says here that in Deuteronomy 8 that God was doing that in order to train Israel like a son. He was trying to train Israel to be his beloved son because they were always given in temptation. But unlike Israel, Jesus, he successfully passes his testing and in so doing, shows that he is the son of God who lives by every word that comes from God's mouth, proving that he's an obedient son. But again, note, and he just reinforces this, by responding to every one of Satan's temptations, he responds to it with the word of God, with scripture, to show that, no, I'm living by scripture, not by any of these things you're trying to tempt me with. Now, Jesus, he is the son of God, so there was particular temptations to him, and his obedience has a special role in the salvation of all mankind, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but he also does give us an example here. That's oftentimes our faith, it's not that complicated. It's, it's even if things make rational sense, I'm gonna follow what God has told me to. The last thing God told me to do, I'm gonna do that. And that, that spiritual things are important and that oftentimes our temptations, we fail and fall to them because we don't hold up the eternal and our relationship with God, the bigger story, as a high priority. And we also fall because we don't know God's word. And so we fail in that battle of temptation. Let's move to the second temptation, because the devil didn't, you know, he got three strikes and then he's out. So he's only got one strike, but he's, he has a second temptation. Verse 5, the devil took Jesus to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. This, so the second temptation, the devil notices, okay, Jesus, you're following the word of God. I see you're quoting scripture. Well, I can do that too. Did you know the devil can quote scripture? Did you know the devil knows scripture probably better than you do? And he will use it. And so he's trying that with Jesus. He actually quotes Psalm 90, verse 11 through 12. He says, if you're the son of God, then well, these scriptures, they apply to you. So why not take God up on his word and, and prove your faith, faith over fear. Throw yourself down from here. The angels will bear you up. You'll just prove your faith. You'll prove that you're a faithful uh, servant of God who follows God's word. But Jesus again answers, but with a word from Deuteronomy 6, 16. He says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Some of you might be thinking, well, wait a minute. God can test us, but we can't test God? Yeah, that's right. He's God. 
<laughs> now, you can trust God's promises. You can live your life based on God's promises. But you don't test God. That's what it, it, it says here. God leads us. We don't lead him. We don't try to force his hand and say, you know, God, this is what I really think should happen. This is what I want to happen. So I'm going to name it and claim it. I'm going to claim this scripture. We don't test God. We follow God. He leads us. And that's what, so Satan, he's so sneaky. He's like, oh, you, you like the scriptures? All right, here's some scriptures. See, and it's a good thing I'm running out of time because I go off on a real tangent about this is why we look at the context of Scripture. This is why I constantly emphasize we need to know the context, context, context. This is why we go through books of the Bible so that we know the whole counsel of God because people from, since the Bible was written, have used the Bible to actually tempt people to sin instead of guiding them into the way of the Lord. So we need to know the word and know the context and what God intended because it's so easy for us. One of the temptations we all have, and I've done it, and it, it hurts my heart to know, is that we want something to happen, and so we find a scripture that will help support we, what we've already decided Instead of submitting ourselves to the word and saying, all right, God, I'm, you lead, I will follow. We'll take a scripture to really try to advance our own agenda instead of following God. So that's why, why do, you know, we, we go through books of the Bible. Why do, we, you know, I preach through books of the Bible. It's so that we have that. It's not just, you know what, it's, it's much more entertaining for people if, you know, I just take my favorite verses and preach on those all the times or my favorite things. No, part of my job is to feed, right? It's to feed us on the word of God. And yeah, I, I like, hopefully you don't fall asleep and I want to be engaging, but when it comes down to it, if I have a choice, no, I need to give you the word of God. So that second temptation, it's, it's a big one. And it's, it's an issue that we have to be so careful about because oftentimes we, again, we don't even realize we're doing it, where we take scripture, but we use it for our purpose and not God's. That's what Satan, was, that's what Satan did. I've even heard this scripture that Satan used, used in a similar way. And it's, anyways, the second temptation I also want to point out it connects to later episodes in Matthew. For instance, at, at Jesus' arrest, remember in, um, in Matthew 26, verse, uh, excuse me, chapter 26, verse 53, uh, Peter, right, he pulls out, Jesus is being arrested, and, Jesus, and Peter pulls out his sword, and Jesus says, no, Peter, put away your sword. Don't you know that I could have a whole legion of angels here? You see that connection? So here, Satan says, hey, throw yourself down. The angels will bear you up. And then Peter sort of, you know, he's like, oh, you know, I, I need to strike. I need to strike down people. And, 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 and Jesus is like, wait, I am the son of God. I can command a whole legion of angels. Don't you realize that, Peter? But that's not God's will for me. That's not why he sent me. 
And then in Matthew 27, verse 40, Jesus is actually hanging on the cross, suffering an excruciating death. And you know what the scribes say to him? If you're the son of God, come down from that cross. That's very similar to what, what, the, what Satan was saying. Wait a minute, you're the son of God. You don't need to die. Come down off that cross. Throw yourself from the pinnacle of this temple. If you're the son of God, then God will do whatever you say. But Jesus, and this is so crucial, Jesus is not just God's representative to us. He is our representative to God. That's what being a Christian means. It means we trust in him, his work, his obedience, so that when we fail and fall into temptation, we're not sons of Adam. No, he, he, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. He sees his perfect obedience because we've placed our trust in him. And that's so crucial. All right, I need to get on to this third temptation. So it says, uh, verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now, at first... This seems like one, a really lame temptation. I mean, when I read it, I'm like, Satan, get real. I mean, Jesus is not going to worship you. I guess he's getting desperate. I don't know. Anyways, this is, as I'm reading the scriptures, that's what I thought. I'm like, that's dumb. I mean, that's, um, but realize, Jesus, he is beginning his ministry. He knows that his ministry will lead him to the cross. That Jesus' mission as the Messiah is, is one where his glory, his rule over all nations, yes, it will happen, but it will happen through self-sacrifice. It will happen through his suffering. So Satan is offering a quicker and easier path. He says, all right, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You're the son of God. And since you're the son of God, we know that you're going to rule over all nations. But, I mean... Why not just get that? I can give that to you now. I can give that to you now. No need for all the suffering. No need for the betrayals. Because, yeah, all these kingdoms, they're, they're under my control. I can give them to you now if you worship me. And so Satan is offering a quicker and easier path. And Jesus, again, he quotes Deuteronomy, this time 6.13. He says, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Again, what's interesting is at the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus, he went to the cross. He gave his life. He died for our sins. And he has rejected the worldly ideas of power, seizing power. Wait, if, if I want to rule, if I'm going to be, if, if we want... Um, yeah, if I'm going to rule, then, yeah, I'll, I'll seize power. Because that's how it works in the world, right? If you want power, you gain positions of power. But that's not how Jesus did this, is it? He says, I am going to let God exalt me by giving my life. 
And at the end, in 2816, the risen Jesus, again, on a mountain. So Satan brings Jesus to a mountain, says, I can give you all this. But in, in chapter 28, verse 18 through 19, Jesus gathers his disciples on a mountain. He has died and risen from the dead. And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Jesus said no to the shortcuts, the shortcuts to glory, the shortcuts to power. And he says, I'm going to go in self-sacrifice. I'm going to establish God's kingdom. I'm going to bring God's kingdom to this world, and it's going to expand, and it's going to go deep, and it's going to change hearts, not because I've seized power, earthly power, national power, but because I have laid that power down, I've laid my rights down and given my life so that you can live, so that no longer do we do things like children of Adam. We do things like children of God following Jesus, our Savior. So that's our temptation. One of our temptations, too, is I'm going to get results in glory in a way that bypasses waiting, that bypasses suffering. And I know that this is such a temptation because none of us like waiting. None of us like suffering. But yet that's the way of Jesus. He went to the cross. He didn't seize power and conquer. That's what many people expected the Messiah to do. No, he gave his life. So as we look at these temptations, we see that through overcoming temptations, Jesus, he confirms his divine sonship that was pronounced on his baptism. He does so in obedience to the word of God, and in this way, he defeats Satan in all three temptations. So he starts his public ministry, and we'll see that next week, having confirmed his identity as the obedient Messiah, the Son of God. And so it's no accident Jesus quotes Scripture three times before he even begins his proclamation of God's Word. And so what, do we, what can we take from that? In one sense, again, Jesus is not dealing with everyday human experiences, right? Is that... Satan, he can't be everywhere at once. I mean, Satan personally probably won't tempt you. The reason is you, we're not that important. I'm just, and Satan's not all powerful. He can't be everywhere at once. And, and a part of this was Jesus confirming who he was. But Jesus' victory was not just for him. It was for any who follow him. So that if we are followers of Jesus, we can say, all right, I want to be like Jesus. So I want to, I, I realize I can defeat temptation, uh, you know, by, by following Jesus. And what do we see? We see that, yes, Jesus has victory, but he also gives us an example. Right? How do we fight temptation ourselves? So think about the temptation that you had recently. I think of one last week. And this one seems silly and it seems small, uh, but I want to share it with you because it's, 
you know, it, this is what happens every day. This is what happens in our story, is that I was at Panera, and uh, I had a meeting to go to, and so I was grabbing an iced coffee, and in Pan at Panera Bread, there's like this beverage station, and here's your... Um, you know, here you've got your, your soft drinks, you know, your soda and stuff, and here's where the iced coffee is. And so I'm, I'm, in, I'm busy, so I, I run and stick my coffee cup under the, uh, where I can get the coffee. And the guy who's at the soda station, he puts up his elbow. And he's like, you can just wait. Now, <laughs> one of my pet peeves is when people aren't considerate of others, right? And... The thing is, is, is how do we overcome temptation? Well, one is first thinking about the bigger story. Because that story, if it was small, if it was just about me and my feelings, then, well, yeah, this guy is annoying me. And so I wanted to say something like, oh, you know, I'll make room for Caesar. Or, you know, I say things that... <laughs> Again, one of the th ways to overcome temptation is think of the bigger story, and, and, and that is this is so small, and that what, you know, what, what is God doing in this? What would God want me to do? How can I live and have my small story match up to God's bigger story and his will? And, and I actually thought about that. I'm like, all right, get out of the moment. Think, think big. Think God. And then also... What did Jesus do? He thought of the word. He knew the word. A couple of scriptures immediately came to mind. One was, you know, turn the other cheek. But the other one was love your neighbor. And because of those things, I was able to, to, to step back and not say what I wanted to say. Um, and we can do the same thing too. And also, it's not the quick way. The quick way is not necessarily God's way. And yes, I was going to a meeting, a ministry meeting. So, you know, I, I, am I somehow okay to be, you know, quick? No, God in that moment was telling me to turn the other cheek. It's not about me. It's not about my feelings. It's not even about what the world would say. Oh, yeah, you're justified in doing that. Well, by the world's standards, but not by God's standards. So we can fight temptation as Jesus did, but here's the main point, and that is there's plenty of other times where I fail. I didn't give in to that temptation, but I could tell you the many other times I have. But oh, look, we're almost out of time, so I'm not going to talk about those. <laughs> um, but there's plenty of times where I have given in, where you have as well. You know that. But that is where temptation, we understand, it's a part of the bigger story. And the good news here that we see is that where Adam failed in the Garden of Eden and gave in to temptation, Jesus succeeded. And Adam, he failed even though he was in the Garden of Eden. He had so much, so much abundance, and he failed. Jesus, he succeeded, but he was in a desert, not in a garden. Where Adam failed, Jesus succeeds. Or Israel, when they're wandering around in the wilderness, complaining and rumbling against God, even though God had just saved them from slavery in Egypt. Where Israel fails, Jesus succeeds. And where you and I fail, Jesus succeeds.
And so God is so loving. Yes, he deserves our utter obedience. He is God. He is the creator of all things. He's the writer of the big story. But the good news is he is a loving God. And in Jesus, God not only uh, took on human flesh in his love and self-sacrifice, he gave himself for us so that we would have a perfect, obedient representative to God. So that when we stand before God, we can point to Jesus and say, oh, I trust in him. I trust in his obedience. And I have taken him up on his offer to exchange his perfect obedience with my sin, with my giving into temptation even today. I make that exchange. Lord, I accept your sacrifice on my behalf. I accept that you were on the cross dying for my sins. And in exchange, you've given me your righteousness that's the good news. And that doesn't mean, oh, good news, so I, 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 don't, I can give in to temptation here and there. No, we want to follow God, but the good news is following God means he's also given us a gift. The gift of forgiveness. The gift of Christ's righteousness. And so as we go into this time of communion, this time of the Lord's Supper, why do we observe the Lord's Supper because Christianity is a very unique religion in that it's not about trying harder to earn God's favor. It's about trusting in Christ. It's about trusting that he is our perfect representative to God. It's trusting that he gave his life on our behalf so that we could be with God forever, that our sins would be forgiven. So if you would, take out the bread and the cup that you received as you came in, hopefully, and um, if not, there might be some. Run and grab them from the front. And this proclamation of Jesus' death and resurrection, that's what we remember when we take the bread and cup. Because we read that the night Jesus was betrayed. So again, the night that Jesus was giving his body to be broken. Not taking the shortcut. Not taking any shortcuts, but going on the cross because of his love for us. Jesus took the bread and he gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat in remembrance of me. So we take and we eat the bread in remembrance of Jesus' broken body. He then takes the cup and he shares it with the disciples and he says, this is the covenant. This is the blood of the new covenant, my blood give, shed for the forgiveness of sins. That's right. The forgiveness of sins, the sins that you and I committed when we gave into temptation, Christ has already paid the price for those 
So we take this cup in remembrance of his shed blood. Take, drink in remembrance of him. Lord God, we have taken the bread and the cup and we do so, so thankful. Because Lord, we do confess that we are sinners, we've fallen, we don't follow your story, we write our own story. So we're, even in the midst of that conviction and understanding that, Lord, we're rejoicing and thankful that you've paid the price, that you are our representative. Lord Jesus, we do that now. We've taken the bread and the cup as an expression of faith. You are our representative to God, and we thank you, Jesus, for your cleansing blood, your shed blood, your, the, your broken body that you gave out of love for us. Sinners, we can't sometimes find our way into your story. Lord, you draw us into it. Thank you. And Lord, for each person here, may they rejoice in that salvation. May they rejoice in who you are because it changes who we are and our stories. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.